Has Iran just opened a new front? On top of support for Hamas in Gaza, Hezbollah in Lebanon, the Houthis in Yemen, now come tit-for-tat strikes with Pakistan to the east. Both sides say they targeted separatist Balush insurgents. But the sudden escalation between usually friendly neighbors adds a whole new layer of uncertainty to a region that's already close to boiling point. Since October 7th, critics have portrayed Iran as a puppet master, as evidenced by Cal's cartoon in The Economist, which includes the caption, I prefer a hands-off approach. Uh, uh, recently, Iran's had to contend with terror at home, uh, the targeting of police stations by radical Baloch separatists, and the twin bombing in Kerman at the start of the month in a ceremony honoring late Revolutionary Guards Commander Qasem Soleimani. On Tuesday, Tehran's hit targets in Pakistan, but also Iraqi Kurdistan and Syria. On that score, just as we've asked if the United States is overstretched patrolling in both the Mediterranean off Israel and Lebanon, and now off the coast of Yemen with those Houthi strikes on shipping, can the same be said of Iran? Today in the France 24 debate, we're asking if it's a new front. And joining us from the UK capital, Ayesha Siddiqui, Senior Research Fellow at the Department of War Studies at King's College London. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for inviting. From Washington, Ali Vaez, Iran Project Director for International Crisis Group. Welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me. Reporter Sofia Maraz, latest documentary uh, produced uh, by the Kappa agency, Hamas, Making of a Monster, is available on uh, the uh, Franco-German channel Arte's streaming platform. How are you? Fine, and you? Thanks Our, for having me. Uh, we'll talk perhaps a bit more later about sure. uh, that documentary. Miriam Benrad, international relations professor at Schiller University here in Paris. Good to see you. Thank you for your invitation. The France 24 debate where you can react on the hashtag F24Debate. First came the recall of Pakistan's ambassador to Tehran. Then, 48 hours on, a retaliatory strike. Nine killed this Thursday, say Iranian media, most of them women and children. Antonia Kerrigan has more. This amateur footage purports to show the aftermath of a strike on a city in eastern Iran. The Pakistani foreign ministry said it had conducted strikes in Iran's system, Baluchistan province, targeting what it described as terrorist hideouts. This morning, Pakistan undertook a series of highly coordinated and specifically targeted precision military strikes against terrorist hideouts in Sistano, Baluchistan province of Iran. A number of terrorists were killed. This morning's action was taken in light of credible intelligence of impending large-scale terrorist activities against Pakistan by these terrorists. According to a Pakistani intelligence source, the strikes were carried out by military aircraft targeting militants belonging to the BLF, Balochistan Liberation Front, which seeks independence for Pakistan's Balochistan province. Iranian state media, meanwhile, reported several women and children were killed in explosions in the country's southeast. The strikes come just a day after Tehran hit a village in Pakistan, in its southwestern Balochistan province. Speaking at Davos, Iran's foreign minister defended Tehran's strike and said Iran targeted the village because it harboured terrorists from the Iranian Jaish al-Adl group, a group which has carried out several attacks on Iranian soil in recent years. We respect the integrity of Pakistan. We respect the integrity of Iraq. But we will not allow them to play with the security 
of our country. Earlier in the week, Iran targeted what it called anti-Iranian terror groups in Syria. Tehran said they were involved in a twin bombing claimed by the Islamic State group that left scores dead and wounded in the Iranian city of Kerman. In northern Iraq on the same day as the Syria strike, Tehran hit what it called an Israeli spy headquarters. Ayesha Sadiqa, is this unprecedented? Completely. Uh, because a day before yesterday, Pakistan Navy and Iranian Navy were exercising together. At Davos, uh, Pakistan's caretaker, Prime Minister, and Iranian Foreign Minister met. Uh, and despite that, both countries have had issues. I mean, Pakistan has been complaining, and it says that uh, the Baloch separatists, many of them, uh, kind of get help and, and, and hide in, out in, in Iran, and vice versa. Uh, Jesh Adil in, in, uh, has been hiding. The, the, the Obandi militant group has, has been in Pakistan, using Pakistani territory for quite a while. So both have been talking to each other. Yet this was unprecedented, the way Iran went ahead and then um, took out the targets in, in, in Pakistan. Uh, completely came as a shock. I mean, this is a very unprecedented level of tension between uh, the two countries. Since they both claim to have hit uh, uh, separatist insurgents, shouldn't they have been working together? Definitely. That's what I'm arguing. Uh, they have hit, uh, Iran has hit Pakistan's Balochistan, and Pakistan has, has gone and hit, taken out targets in, in Iranian Balochistan. Um, so in that way, I mean, Baloch population, both sides have, have, have been hit. But what's interesting is that none have said that they've taken out or they have hit, um, you know, um, people in, in, in uh, you know, uh, Pakistan says it has taken out terrorists, uh, Pakistani terrorists working in, in Iran. Iran says it has taken out uh, Iranian terrorists, uh, uh, in, you know, living or, or uh, being aided and abetted and, and, and staying in, in Pakistani territory. Nobody has claimed that um, Iranians were killed or Pakistanis were killed. Uh, Ali Vaez, uh, uh, Pakistan is a nuclear-armed nation. Uh, how much did they think long and hard in Tehran before carrying out Tuesday's strike? I think they didn't think long and hard enough. Otherwise, they would not have overreached in this way. Uh, look, there was a need for Iran to flex its military muscles because of the degree of internal criticism that uh, Iran had suffered uh, serious setbacks at the hands of Israel and the United States and ISIS in the past few weeks, uh, and it had not responded in kind. Uh, and so there was pressure building up they, that they needed to do something about it. But at the same time, the Iranian regime does not want to do anything that would result in expansion of the conflict in Gaza or would basically drag Iran into it. Uh, and so they opted for attacks in Iraq and Syria, 
that uh, were relatively low cost because, yes, there will be uh, diplomatic uh, protests from those countries uh, in terms of Iran undermining their sovereignty, uh, but there was no risk of backlash, whereas with Pakistan is a very different situation. And Iran put Pakistan in an impossible position that if they had not retaliated in kind, they would lose face. Uh, and so Pakistan had no choice other than taking the action that it, it took yesterday. Well, and you heard Aisha mention uh, they, they were conducting joint naval exercises. Again, uh, we're wondering why, why keep it a secret? Well, it, this is also another reason why this is quite feckless and reckless, because Iran needs Pakistan uh, uh, and Pakistan's cooperation in order to tackle the joint concerns that they have about these Baluchi militant groups. Uh, and beyond that, honestly, this is not a problem that has a military solution. Both countries would need to share intelligence, would need to know what some of these groups are doing uh, in order to effectively counter it. But the underlying cause uh, is the mistreatment of these ethnic minorities in both countries, uh, the economic uh, deprivation uh, and the environmental uh, situation that uh, uh, has created a very tough situation in the, in Baluchistan, both in Pakistan uh, and in Iran. And, and so therefore, the two countries need uh, to cooperate, not to confront one another to tackle a common concern. Yeah, Iran strikes on three fronts Tuesday. Uh, it follow, They follow the double suicide attacks on January 3rd uh, claimed by ISIS. They hit uh, that it hit uh, crowds uh, gathered near the tomb of uh, Guards General Qasem Soleimani in Kerman. Uh, on January 3rd, at least 84 were killed. It could be the deadliest such attack since the Iranian Revolution. Uh, and again, Tuesday's uh, strikes by Iran very far apart uh, from one uh, from, from another. What What are your thoughts, Miriam Benrad, when you look at this map here and, and you, uh, uh, your thoughts on Iran, is it all about domestic politics or is, it, what's it, or is it sending a message to the wider world? No, I think it's clearly sending a message and I don't think that what happened, uh, so in, indeed uh, this uh, confrontation with Pakistan is unprecedented because it involves uh, conventional military means as opposed to the more traditional historical proxy war that these two states, Iran and Pakistan, have waged around uh, this complex uh, province of Baluchistan on both the Pakistani and the Iranian side. So you're saying it's a proxy war in the way it's that uh, India and, and Pakistan have won with Kashmir? For decades. Yeah. So there's nothing new. What's interesting is to relink this, uh, so these attacks, this sort of reawakening of the Baluch question with what's going on, of course, in the Near East. Are you saying Pakistan is now part of the Middle East as of Tuesday? Well, the great Middle East, if we talk about the axis of resistance as being the response of Iran to the axis of evil, which, by the way, in, tw in uh, 2001, uh, with, uh, the, you know, we all remember the discourse of George W. Bush was including Afghanistan, Pakistan, a number of so-called rogue states or states that were supposed to embody... Um, well, so the so-called axis of evil, but we can come back to this question. I'd like just to uh, maybe uh, go on, on on my on my argument. There's uh, there's there's an ongoing paranoia now in in Iran, with the escalation, of course, of the hostilities in the Near East, with the escalation of the hostilities with the Houthis, with a number of proxies in Iraq, 
in Syria, and there is nothing new. The American uh, troops have been under the attacks of a number of militias in those two countries, and vice versa. So there is a, a sort of terrain that, were pre that was preparing. If you listen to the narrative of Tehran, it's a paranoid narrative that argues, and I really think that we should take this uh, into account, that Kurdistan, Kurdish forces, some groups in Baluchistan are, would be, in a way, providing intelligence to the uh, US, to Israel. We need to take this into account because it's not just propaganda. I think there is a real paranoid sense of being besieged on the Iranian side that, and sending, as you said, a message to um, neighboring states, to all the groups, state actors, non-state actors, that Iran sees as, as constituting uh, the, the threat. And the, the, because otherwise, you, you, we can't make sense of this attack. Why would they attack Pakistan now when, the, as you said, the, the, the relationship between Iran and Pakistan was, I'm not going to say fully normalized, but there was nothing predicting what happened. Sofia Mara. Um, I think it's a double message from Iran. Iran is under big pressure, is in a very delicate position in a, on an internal uh, uh, point of view. So I think the, the message mainly is a domestic message. Uh, Iran has been hit uh, since 2020 with General Qasem Soleimani, which, which was the biggest loss for Tehran. They didn't reply in a serious manner. They've been hit by the General Musawi a few days ago in Syria, and there was no reply, at least no immediate reply. Again, in Beirut, in southern suburbs of Beirut, with the number two of Hamas killed. In which that is Israeli airstrike. Saleh al-Aruri, he was killed. And then it was Wissam al-Tawil, also in Lebanon, all, all our proxies of Tehran. And nothing happened. The, th the main thing, I think the main reason, because Iran normally and usually doesn't act itself. It lets others, proxies, do the, the dirty job so it stays safe from any strike, strike back from the U.S. or any Western country. Now, they had a 84 uh, civilians, Iranian civilian kill in Kerman. So uh, hitting the Jesh al-Adl, which is a jihadi organization that has been there for a long time, since, that has been active actually, but Iran never really did something about it and it could have just done it with col co collaborating with, with Pakistan. Now they did this, I think it's a First of all, a domestic message to the Iranian to calm th things down, but also at the same time, on a second level, a message to the West to say, stop hitting our proxies because it's not going to go unchecked forever. Even though we never react or we let others react for us, which are the Iraqi militia, pro-Iranian Iraqi militia, or Hezbollah in Lebanon, or Hamas, a little bit less than Hezbollah, because Hezbollah is really totally tied to, to Iran. So I think this is the double message we see here today. They also hit what is uh, in the southeast uh, of the country, the poorest part of Iran. And we saw that yes. uh, the crackdown was particularly hard during those pro-democracy protests that we saw last year. Yes, definitely. And, and the problem is that 
this issue, it cannot be solved in a military manner, as, as your guest just said a, a few minutes ago. It's something that should be dealt with the, its neighbors, okay, and with negotiation and true co collaboration. So this strike, I think, is it's just uh, an answer, a military answer that is, uh, first of all, a message to the, on the domestic level and then a message to the West, to Israel and Washington saying, stop hitting our proxies in Yemen, in Lebanon and in Syria. Ali Vaez, uh, Iran getting its hands uh, dirty. You're, you're, you agree with Sofia Amara? Well, I, I agree that Iran is trying to send a message, uh, a deadly message, but it's sending it to the wrong address uh, because most of the setbacks that Iran has suffered uh, both internally and in the region in the past few weeks uh, were perpetrated at the hands of the U.S., uh, Israel and ISIS. Um, and uh, it, it's true that Iran alleges that it's targeting uh, Israeli interests in the Iraqi Kurdistan or uh, ISIS in Syria. But uh, to be honest with you, uh, this is kind of a cop-out because uh, the, realistically, uh, ISIS in Khorasan province was primarily responsible for the attack in Kerman, and that group is based in Afghanistan. Uh, but Iran is clearly uh, very reluctant to open a front against the Taliban. Uh, and it does not want to do anything that could provide Israel with a pretext to expand the war either into Lebanon or uh, basically bring Iran into the fray. Uh, and so it chose targets that had limited risk of the kind of repercussions that Iran does not want to see. Uh, but all in all, I think Iran's deterrence in the region, uh, or its credibility at least, has diminished uh, over the past few weeks because of the reluctance to use its deterrence uh, capabilities uh, in the face of the pushback that we have now seen by Israel and the U.S. Look, uh, what Iran has done does not really amount to uh, the kind of very provocative action that Israel took in targeting Iranian commanders and allied commanders in the region, uh, in Hezbollah's neighborhood in Beirut, uh, and uh, the kind of action that the U.S. has taken by uh, targeting the Houthis directly. Uh, Ayesha Sadika, you heard there uh, Ali saying, uh, uh, Iran uh, more wary of uh, what could be the wrath of Afghanistan than that uh, of Pakistan, and also saying it was a miscalculation. You agree on both those points? I wonder if it was a miscalculation. <clears throat> I mean, it was an irresponsible act. But did they miscalculate or were they also trying to send Pakistan a message? I mean, the earlier conversation that it's been trying to send a signal to the Americans that don't hit our proxies and we'll hit back. So it's either signaling a very sharp signaling to Pakistan saying that, look, uh, you are trying to communicate with the Americans. Uh, uh, just about 10, 10, 15 days ago, um, Pakistan's army chief was in America trying to talk to the Americans. He'd been there for 12 days. So either they're suspecting that now there is going to be, Pakistan is going to be part of a group which is going to uh, be providing intelligence on, on Iran or cornering. So it's a calculation, a miscalculation, but this is a calculation. I mean, I, I personally think that neither Pakistan nor Iran can expand their bilateral conflict. Let's not forget that in, in Iran, Iranian Balochistan is predominant, predominantly 
Sunni and Sunni and Deobandi. Uh, on Pakistan's side, after Iran, the largest population of Shias is in Pakistan. So neither can afford, and they've been through a period of very tense internal strife uh, of sectarian violence. So neither can afford it. So this is really a badly miscalculated decision to to strike Pakistan instead of talking to Pakistan. Uh, so I really wonder what it comes from. I mean, and one of the arguments is that perhaps this miscalculated action was taken by the Revolutionary Guards. Uh, you know, they, they were arrogant, they went ahead, uh, they calculated, they were signaling. There is definitely a signaling uh, to Pakistan involved in this in this strike, but it's 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 a it's a bad decision definitely, um, mm. and also underestimating that Pakistan will not. I mean, Pakistan is a nuclear weapon state. It's 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 all it 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 also has a powerful military. That why it would not strike back. It has struck back, and now, uh, this, and, and you know there has been conversation between the foreign minister. Pakistani foreign minister and an Iranian foreign minister, the bit of non-apology, uh, you know, that has been uh, uh, that has been given, but no serious talk has happened. And I think this is something which cannot be repeated. So, a question, serious question, is why did Iran take this misstep? Yeah, why did Iran take the misstep? Uh, 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 Want to have a quick crack at that? Uh, I mean, you were mentioning it earlier because of yeah, the domestic calculus. Is of what you were saying. Not, not only because Iran is in, in all its narrative and the proxies, uh, its proxies narrative is about, you know, Palestine and axis of resistance and so and so and so. And now we see all this. What what make made it happen is what's happening in Gaza is the war with, between Israel and Palestinians or the war of Israel on Gaza. So all this is provoking so a ripple effect yeah, all the way it's to, like the, to the border. It's like a butterfly effect that that is not ending and taking us we don't know where with this escalation of violence. But this is, I think, the main reason behind it. All right, Miriam Benrad mentioning earlier how both uh, uh, Iran and Pakistan have uh, uh, restive uh, uh, populations in their uh, Baluchistan on each side of the border. Recently, protesters from Baluchistan walked the 1,800 kilometers from Turbat near the Iranian border to Islamabad and staged a sit-in outside the press club to raise awareness uh, of all the forced disappearances that have taken place over decades. France 24 spoke to one activist whose father, a medical doctor, was taken away when she was an infant, never to be seen again. There's an atmosphere of suppression in Balochistan. People are being silenced. They cannot speak against state oppression. If someone's family member is picked up, they don't even file a case because if they try to do it, the police harass them. There's a new wave now where missing persons are extrajudicially killed and then labeled as terrorists. Ayesha Sadiqa, be it the uh, military or uh, the caretaker government, we are supposed to have elections soon in, in Pakistan. Are they going to take a different look now at what's happening on their own side of the border? No, I don't think so. In fact, what the Iranian attack has done would give them reason to extend military and, and security force control over the province. Um, 
I think what they've been, what Islamabad has been arguing is that these protesters who came to uh, to Islamabad are actually representing the separatists, which is definitely not the case. I mean, here are these people, hundreds, hundreds of you know of them, uh, thousands marching to Islamabad, basically saying, our loved ones have been picked up. I mean, if you've killed them, give us information so you know we can have closure. Or if they are, uh, you know, if they're, they're locked up, you know, put them through this through the legal system, try them, uh, and you know, t- take the legal uh, course of action against them. Now that is separate, but it's also a fact that many of these separatists are hiding around. They go hide in Iran. They've been fighting the state, but this is a very small proportion. My fear is that this you know, present, uh, you know, this crisis between Pakistan and Iran will actually give both the states a reason to crack down on their own populations. Mm. On the Iranian side, the Baloch are not asking for a separate state. Iranian Balochis are asking for autonomy and for better treatment and for their rights. It's part of the Pakistani uh, Baloch, uh, you know, a certain, uh, uh, you know, a small number who are asking for independence from Pakistan. But in both cases, the treatment will be harsh and that will be used. Mm. Uh, you know, this whole terrorism that, you know, Iran attacked because, uh, you know, there is a, uh, you know, the, the, there are militants in, in Balochistan and, and Iran's argument that Pakistan reacted because there are separatists there will be used to crack down on these people even more. Harsher treatment. Harsher treatment. So who to mediate between Iran and Pakistan? Well, a close ally for both happens to be China. The Chinese side sincerely hopes that the two sides can exercise calm and restraint and avoid an escalation of tension. We are also willing to play a constructive role in de-escalating the situation if both sides need it. Is Beijing equipped, Miriam Benrad, to uh, calm things down? Well, I think uh, China is going to exploit this crisis that has uh, diplomatically exploited uh, the turmoil in the Middle East uh, and elsewhere in the uh, Arab and Muslim world to advance its uh, status, its position, especially in, at a time where we're seeing the U.S. struggling to take control back of the region. They're not in, uh, we're seeing like the erratic behavior of the Biden administration, the difficulties to deal with uh, a number of Arab countries, Middle East countries, the difficulties also to uh, deal with uh, Israel. So of course, China, uh, which is uh, now, uh, you know, superpower itself, uh, is going to exploit this situation to advance its scout. I'm not going to say that uh, China is, it will become tomorrow the new uh, cop, you know, of the Middle East, the new gendarme, uh, as the U.S. used to be, but it, it is clearly, and it will exploit every opportunity. Well, let's get the view from Washington. Ali Vaez, do you agree? Well, uh, look, first of all, um, I don't think uh, uh, that uh, either Iran or Pakistan want uh, this, uh, uh, the tensions between them to further escalate. Uh, I, I think this is likely uh, going to remain limited to the tit-for-tat that we've witnessed uh, because uh, neither side favors an all-out war. Iran and Pakistan both have elections in the next few weeks. Uh, they both have economic issues to deal with. They both have other fronts to worry about. 
in the case of Pakistan, India, and the Taliban, and in the case of Iran, uh, of course, tensions uh, related to the war in, in Gaza and the proxy conflicts they have with uh, the U.S. and Israel. Uh, and so I don't think there is actually a need for Chinese mediation here. Uh, and then the second question is, if if there were uh, any uh, assistance needed from China, uh, which has tremendous leverage uh, on both Iran and Pakistan, would China be willing to use uh, that leverage to put pressure on, on either side? And that's not China's style um, to, to use its leverage as, as incentive or dis disincentive. Uh, so I honestly don't think that they will uh, play a major role here and Iran and Pakistan themselves. And now that they have uh, each taken uh, their own action, uh, I think are, are now prepared to step back from the brink. All right. It's not just, by the way, Pakistan who's recalled ambassadors this week, perhaps overlooked. Iraq doing the same after Iran's strike on a building in the capital of Iraqi Kurdistan, Erbil. Tehran claims it was a Mossad headquarters. There's been a strong denial. Um, uh, recalling an ambassador to, uh, on the part of Baghdad from Iran, uh, that is a rare move. Baghdad, which uh, enjoys good relations with both Iran and the United States, uh, Sofia Amara. Uh, there too, like what you just described, like you just heard Ali Vaez describe uh, the spike in tensions between Pakistan and Iran. Do you think that the spike in tensions with Iraq is going to be temporary? Definitely, but I'd like to answer, uh, add something to what uh, Mr. Faiz said. Uh, it's true that uh, 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 Iran and Pakistan may not need any uh, mediation from China, but in case it does or they do, then China could do it because it did even something more difficult, which is uh, uh, Iran and KSA. Saudi Arabia that were, you know, they were on fight for many years. And thanks to China, uh, well, the two countries managed to, to uh, uh, get closer. And today, uh, uh, KSA is, is more, um, more cl close than ever from Iran. This is the first point. Now, concerning Iraq, it's very, it's very rare what's happening. Because in, in Iraq, don't, don't forget, Qasem Soleimani was killed in Baghdad on the 3rd of January 2020. He used to say that uh, three, we, we hold or we mastered four capitals in, in, in the Arab world, which are Damascus, Sana'a, Beirut, and Baghdad. Uh, and in some neighborhood of Baghdad, you really feel you are in Tehran, really. So having uh, the ambassador of Iran uh, uh, expel or the, uh, this, 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 the, this diplomatic move from Baghdad, it's very uh, uh, unprecedented, yet I think it's, you know, they'll go over it because the relation between Tehran and Baghdad is so, they're so, the, the ties are so deep that it'll take more than this strike and this uh, event to uh, 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 split them apart. All right, you mentioned Sana'a. After Hamas's October 7th attack, Iran talked up its so-called axis of resistance with Hezbollah and the Houthis included. The Houthi power in Yemen's capital, which Wednesday staged military funerals for four of its fighters killed in recent U.S. strikes. Retaliation for the ramping up since December of commercial shipping uh, that's been targeted in the Red Sea. Strikes that have the blessing as you can see on this map here, first of all, the, the, uh, this is all the, the little dots and the latest one is on January the 15th there. 
uh, of commercial vessels that have been targeted. Uh, this has all been happening uh, within the last six weeks. Um, the strikes that have the blessing of Iran's supreme leader. Their work is the example of jihad in God's path. We hope that these efforts will continue until victory. Uh, Ali Fayez, your reaction when you listen to uh, 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 Ayatollah Khamenei, is, is it, uh, he's cheerleading, he's not pulling the strings, as you say. Not at all. I think he's just trying to pay uh, lip service uh, to what the Houthis have done. Of course, Iran is complicit in Houthi attacks in the Red Sea because it has provided them with financial and military support. All the proxy of Iran, they're fiercely independent. And in fact, they have a long track record of ignoring uh, Iranian advice. And I think at times, Iran has been pretty uncomfortable with some of the actions that the Houthis have taken, because there's still the risk that they might uh, target a US or a European uh, warship uh, in the Red Sea or in the Gulf of Aden, uh, that could result in fatalities uh, that could then uh, uh, push the tensions uh, to spiral out of control and put Iran uh, in hot waters. Uh, but uh, remember that the entire uh, raison d'etre of the existence of the axis of resistance that Iran has put together, of which uh, the Houthis are a member, uh, is to deter a strike on Iranian soil. Uh, but uh, there is an ideological umbrella here that Iran at least needs to pay lip service to, which I think is what the Supreme Leader did the other day. Miriam Benrad. No, I just wanted also to react to, to what we said regarding Baluchistan, regarding all the, these so-called proxies, because whenever we speak about messaging, sending a message, we have to see it both, I think, two, in two ways. There's the external message, clearly against Israel and the United States, at a time, again, of the Gaza war, of the objective of the Israelis to destroy Hamas, so to destroy a major proxy actor, I'm not going to say fully at the hands of Iran, but that has clearly uh, followed the uh, Iranian agenda, if we replace it in the context of the so-called uh, axis of resistance. So that it's a clear message at a time of escalating hostilities. And there's also the internal dimension of the message, which means sending a message to the so-called proxies. And I will maybe nuance what was said I think the landscape is much more complex. Not all Shi militias in Iraq are, are, have good relations with the Iranians. There's a constant challenge for Iran to maintain the loyalty, the allegiance of a number of proxies. And it's go going to be even more the case after the suppression, we know, the suppression of Hamas in Gaza, and it's already more or less done. But after that, there will be, from the proxies, from those who, in a way, um, gave up on a certain autonomy in the name of joining this coalition, this axis uh, of resistance, there will be requests for, uh, in, uh, for assurances of security, of continuity, in face of this ongoing escalation. So what you're saying so what is I'm that I'm saying that they are sending a message to the proxies, a message of power, a message of um, responsiveness, to make sure that those proxies remain in their camp. And also, I would like to make an important point. Going back to what was said about the paranoia that has really taken over, about the mistrust, which is so deep now among 
all the actors of the region. I think it's also a case of um, of making sure that again they maintain an image of cohesion, of coherence, of consistency, and they really do believe that Israel and the United States these days are doing everything to infiltrate a number of these proxies to gather intelligence. One last point. The axis of resistance was the response at the time of the Iraq war to regime change. There is this obsession in Iran that since 2003, the United States and its Israeli ally are in a logic of regime change. We have to take into account, so we judge it as irrational, rational, it's not a question. This is the logic of this regime and how the Iranians have kept thinking and we have to take, I think, into account the long, uh, the long term over the past 20 years. Right. And this is their major obsession, which is why they've been activating those proxies and making sure that they keep as um, distant as they can uh, these, uh, what they consider to be their existential, an existential threat, the United States and, uh, and Israel. So uh, different shades of proxy, uh, as we heard in the case of... Uh, uh, the Houthis, you heard Ali Vaez argue that uh, uh, they're not at all a proxy, uh, just an, uh, an ally. Um, you don't agree with that? Uh, I totally agree with that. Okay. What I don't agree with is that Hamas being a total uh, well, let's proxy. Talk, let's of, talk about Hamas now. Yeah, because and and uh, the, 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 the problem between the proxies let's, let's of talk Iran about. in Iraq have been fighting for years. And a big researcher, Hisham al-Hashemi, was killed because he revealed that Ira Iranian proxies in Iraq were not... Uh, happy together or were fighting together. Right. It was hidden until he revealed it, and he got killed for that. Right. Some some were nationalist and some more pro-Tehran. Pro yeah, we're talking about uh, yeah. Iran's support of Hamas. Now, in your documentary, uh, Hamas Making of a Monster, Sofia Mara, what did you find when it comes to the links, and we're seeing the trailer for it here, between the Palestinian militant group and Tehran? How, how close is Hamas linked today? We know in the past, right, it was an offshoot of the Muslim Brotherhood, had nothing to do with, with, with Iran. Today, how close are they? Uh, it's, it's, it's quite simple. Actually, uh, Hamas was uh, uh, an emanation of bro Muslim Brotherhood. The, the one who could help them was, they, they were the Iranian regime. This is why they accepted, and this is what we see in the documentary, because Amir Ayalon, the ex-chief uh, uh, of the, the Shin Bet, explained that he was, he had some prisoners who were from Hamas and, ex and he understood how hard for them it was to get trained in Iran because of a difference of religion or confession because the Iran is Shia whereas Hamas are Sunnis. Yet they were the only one who accepted to help them but they had an agenda. Yet that doesn't mean that Hamas is, you know, a puppet because Hamas has a national a very legal, a very legitimate goal, which is fighting against an occupation that is recognized by international law. Now, they're Islamist and they're not as Fatah was, which was closer from the West, you know. Uh, uh, secular secular yeah, party. A secular party. They became Islamist and some Palestinians even told me, put people in a cage like Gaza was, because Gaza was occupied. Even if the Israeli was not, were not inside, it was closed. They could not get out of it. They still can't. 
And then this is considered as occupied for 17 years and keep feeding, this is what we show in the documentary, since 87, since Hamas existed, the Israeli, they bet on them to get a separation, to divide the Palestinian uh, society. So wait, but, but, but getting back to Iran here, at what point do they draw closer to Iran? They helped them. They wished when? they helped them since the beginning. Since the beginning, with 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 weapons, how to uh, and 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 it was explained. I met with with Hamas militants under the bombs. It was in in, in Jenin, and I met with a responsible of Hamas, which is uh, Osama Hamdan. We met and we show him in the documentary. Okay, and they explained. They gave us weapon. The relations started in 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 the nineties when Israel took some Hamas militant out. They just threw them out and put them in south of Lebanon. The relations started between Hezbollah and Hamas. They helped them, they trained them, but yet Hamas has its own agenda, which is a nationalist agenda. That is for sure. And we found in the West, in the West Bank, occupied West Bank, militant from Hamas who don't even know where Iran is in, in, on the map. They don't care. They're fighting because they're occupied. So we cannot say that Hamas is just an Iranian proxy. This is not true. So that brings us back, Ali Vayez, to the question, is the goal uh, for Iran uh, to control uh, the, the wider region or is the goal to make trouble? Uh, I think it's neither. Um, if you ask Iranians from their perspective, this is seen as defensive. This is why they call it a forward defense policy. Now, of course, it's not hard to understand what the Iranians perceive as defensive is seen by a lot of their neighbors as offensive. Uh, there's a very nebulous line really between the two. Uh, and the trouble with this policy throughout the past four decades is that uh, every time uh, Iran's neighbors, uh, including uh, Israel, uh, feel more threatened, uh, they drag the U.S. further into the region and they arm themselves up to the teeth, uh, Israel or the GCC countries. Um, and that deepens Iran's threat perception, which pushes Iran to double down on its own forward defense policy and the vicious cycle, uh, unfortunately, continues. But, uh, uh, you know, one has to understand one of the reasons uh, that uh, this network uh, exists and has remained uh, more or less loyal to Iran is because Iran uh, does not have the puppet and puppet master kind of relationship with these groups. Uh, they all have different kind of relations with Iran. Uh, Hezbollah and Iran are like two NATO allies. Uh, whereas, as I said, the Houthis have a long track record of ignoring Iranian advice and a lot of other groups that are uh, in between. Uh, but if we don't understand the main motivation here, which from Iran's perspective is deterring an, an attack on Iranian soil, that from a conventional military perspective, Iran is not well placed to protect, uh, then with the policies that we come up with to counter it, whether it's through sanctions or through uh, military means, uh, are bound to fail, as they have in, the, in all the uh, past four decades. Uh, one final question before we go, and we're running short on time. Uh, uh, Ayesha Sadika, uh, you heard both uh, Sofia Amara and Miriam Benrad say how uh, there's kind of been this ripple effect that has drawn in Pakistan. Do you think that going forward... As we watch what unfolds in the Red Sea, in Israel, in Gaza, in the West Bank, that people in Pakistan are going to have a whole new take on it? 
No, I think there is a concern, and I think there is it's, it's a lot of worry because one doesn't want to. I mean, there will be some effect. Uh, for example, you know, if tension with with uh, with Iran is going to disturb and going to make the Shia population very uncomfortable on how the state is going to treat them. But I think we will. Uh, I think the tension itself is going to be, um, and it's going to be <clears throat> kind of. Um, you know, drummed down on, on both sides. And, and, you know, something which was mentioned earlier, China, of course, will be playing a role because China has major investment both in Pakistan and in Iran. And it doesn't want to, wouldn't want to kind of lose this, in, you know, the larger region to more conflict. So I think they would be encouraging and prodding both, both sides to uh, to, to calm down and, and, and uh, you know, get down to table. I think what is has definitely happened here is a lot of signaling in the back of these attacks. And this will open, give another opportunity to both sides to sit and talk. And I think this is where uh, it will end. I think I don't mm. see uh, the tension escalating further, but definitely... Um, what what the signal with which I'll, I'll repeat myself, what the signal which Iran has sent to Pakistan is that if it wants to become a partner with Israel, Saudi Arabia, uh, you know, or, or, or United States in targeting Iran, then it better watch out. Aisha Sadiq, I want to thank you so much for joining us from London. I want to thank Ali Vayez in Washington, Sofia Amara, as well as Miriam Benrad. Thank you for being with us here in the France 24 debate.